afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Notre Dame Stadium. Zivikowski trying to get to the outside. He has blockers in front. Time for Zivikowski. Belong to beat. Shakes it off. To the five and touchdown. And now it is down. It is over. And the Irish have knocked off number one Clemson. Brady Quinn looking. Pump fakes. He rolls to the near side. Throws it. It's caught by Samaja. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. He's going in. Notre Dame has scored. Jones is the back. He's got it again. And Jones a letter room. Tony Jones makes a cut. Gets a block. And scores. Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish? Welcome to Sun Saturday Irish. I'm Tyler Wojak. Luke Smith is here with me virtually. And it's good to be back. Um, it's been a few weeks since our last episode. We've been waiting, like most of you, on Notre Dame to get its coaching staff finalized ahead of the 2022 season. Looking at college football and the sport as a whole, I feel pretty confident in saying that this coaching carousel has been the craziest and the longest we've seen in our lifetimes, at least. Obviously, Notre Dame was one of the programs impacted the most by all the coaching turnover. Um, It seems like an eternity ago that Brian Kelly was sending a text to the entire Notre Dame football team to tell them what everyone already knew by that point, that he was leaving to become the head coach at LSU. And after two and a half months of some unexpected twists and turns, new head coach Marcus Freeman finally has his first staff as a head coach complete, I think. Uh, We're going to be joined by Ashton Pollard, a former writer for us here at Sons of Saturday, who has since moved up in the world significantly She's now a reporter for our friends over at blueandgold.com. We're going to go through all the new hires, except Harry Heastand. We've spent a lot of time on this show talking about him. So instead, we're going to focus our attention on the more recent hires, like Al Golden, the new defensive coordinator, um, and the rest. But first, Luke, can we get a life update? It's It's been a minute. Yeah, before we do that, uh, you're right about this coaching carousel, and I think everybody realizes that, but let's like put into words what actually happened. So you have a new coach... Notre Dame, USC, LSU, Oklahoma. You almost had a new coach at Michigan. You almost had a new coach at Auburn after God knows what was going on (laughs) down there. I mean, those are some of the biggest brands in the sport. It's pretty ridiculous. Like everybody knows how crazy it is, but when you actually say the teams, like it's wow, that, that was a lot. And you didn't even mention Miami or Oregon. Like, there's so many. Well, it's, it's honestly yeah. hard to keep track of them. All. That's true. I, yeah, I didn't even mention Miami or Oregon. And yeah, I mean, exactly. Like, there's just too much going on. But anyways, uh, yeah, I like what's going on with me. Uh, it sucks in Chicago right now. It's uh, I just commuted home from work and it was maybe the worst commute I've ever had outside of the one or two times I got punched by a crackhead on the red line. So it's uh, it's it's dog shit out. I'm not going to lie. It's coming down really hard snow-wise. Obviously dealt with snow my whole life, but this was one of the worst times I've ever had in the snow. Um, February's a, a terrible month. You know, there's nothing really good going on. Works work. Uh, Notre Dame basketball making a surprising run through the ACC. How about that? We got the Bulls on top of the East, and your Cavs are right up there too. So at least we got some pretty entertaining basketball. That's pretty much the only thing getting me through this month. True. Some entertaining basketball, Notre Dame and NBA alike. But let's go back to you just casually went over the fact that you said you got punched by some crackhead on the red line once, maybe twice. I've never heard this. Can we get a story time here? <laughs> yeah, we can get a story. Uh, this was pre-COVID, so this is probably like my 
I don't know, third or fourth month out of school. Uh, and like prior to COVID, when everybody was going into the office, it was a slammed red line every day. And this was a morning. I want to say it was like a Thursday morning. My roommate and I left at different times, which like probably about five or 10 minutes apart, which was is, is important to note. We'll come back to that. So I, I'm on this red line. It's slammed. And like at one of the second or third stops, it stops rather abruptly. Somebody knocks into me and I accidentally step on this guy who's like sitting in one of the handicapped seats feet. Don't think anything of it. Next thing I know, I just get jacked in the shoulder by this guy. And he's like, you're not even going to say anything. I'm like, what? Like, sorry, man, I got bumped into you. And then he goes on this whole like tirade about how I don't think he counts as a person, all this stuff. And I'm just like, dude, I just, I want to go to work and I don't even really want to do that. Just shut the hell up. (laughs) Then I I, I am pissed. And I look at my phone and my roommate goes, dude, you're not going to believe this. This guy just got punched on the red line. And I look, I look back and he, then his eyes open. He goes, Oh my God, that was you. I didn't even realize that. It's like, yeah, that was me. Uh, the second time was, uh, it wasn't on the red line, but it was a commute in. I, I was like walking in really early for like a 6 a.m. meeting. It's probably 545. I think it was actually the Friday before the USC game in 2019. And uh, I had my headphones in. Some guy was trying to say something to me. And I just ignored him. And he again just rocks me in the shoulder. And I was like, what the hell? He goes, he wanted breakfast or something. He told me this whole story about how he was one of the Jackson's long lost brothers, another crackhead. I, I don't know. I had really bad luck in 2019 with crackheads. Like, I guess I was just a target, but knock on wood since then, uh, haven't been punched. That's a tough way to start your day. Yeah. I don't know if it's worse than walking in the snow, but just getting punched in the red line. You actually handled that pretty well, I would say. Uh, better than most, and honestly, a little bit better than I might have expected out of you, especially at that early in the morning. Uh, but that's pretty good. All right. Um, I didn't really expect that uh, in our life update, but let's talk Notre Dame's new coaching staff with Ashen. Ashen Pollard, reporter for blueandgold.com, joined us now. Ashen, first of all, congrats on the new gig. Uh, the three of us are, have already talked offline a bit, but we're really happy for you and happy for the team at Blue and Gold as well. Uh, you attended the press conference via Zoom on Wednesday as Notre Dame introduced its new coaching staff. I watched it. Uh, all I can say is you can put another W on the board. Notre Dame remains undefeated. In press conferences this offseason, might need a new banner for the rafters or a statue. Uh, but in all seriousness, what are some of the main takeaways you had after being able to listen uh, with the new coaching staff? Yeah, so I think uh, winning the press conference. Also, thank you for having me. Sorry. Um, and thank you for that nice intro. <laughs> Sorry. It's been a very long week. I am struggling. Um, yes. So the, yeah, totally win the press conference. The difference in the dynamic between a Brad Kelly press conference and a Marcus Freeman led press conference is absolutely insane. I don't want to say that Kelly seemed like he didn't want to be there, but he kind of often seemed like he didn't want to be there. And it seems like Freeman's really into it. I know that Freeman also stood in the back of the room while both Reese and Golden talked, which from what I, obviously I just started working in the Notre Dame sphere, but from what I've heard, Kelly would not do that. So I think that when Freeman talks about like being excited about the staff, being excited about what his guys have to say, listening to his guy, like I think that he's genuine in saying that. And he's not just saying that because that's what a head coach is supposed to say. Yeah. And how often do we get to hear from the assistants at all? I mean, I know this is a little bit different because he's introducing a new staff, but specifically Al Golden being part of that new staff, he is the new defensive coordinator. 
And it's a little bit ironic considering the defensive coordinator position was the first open assistant job on the staff and the last one to get officially filled. Now, that's in part because of the postseason run by the Cincinnati Bengals. But, you know, Golden has been a head coach before at Temple, where he turned that whole program around. And then at Miami, where he was okay. But I I think that has more to do with the fact that he was really a fish out of water culturally in that program. So what can you tell us about the hiring process with him and how we eventually got to this point? Yeah, so from what I understand, uh, basically the rumors became really serious about this around three weeks ago, like late January. And then the news came out Tuesday after the Super Bowl, obviously on Sunday, that it was all but finalized and that it was actually finalized Wednesday morning. Um, We kind of, as the media, got an email Tuesday afternoon about the coaching staff uh, all being available on Wednesday, which basically cemented the idea that Golden was actually happening. So I think, and, and also the fact that it was kind of all but announced, it was basically Pete Sampson broke it at the athletic, but it was all but finalized Tuesday and then ended up being finalized on Wednesday. And Notre Dame is notorious for taking forever to vet coaches. There was this, oh my God, how did they vet him so quickly? Well, they've actually been vetting him for quite a while now. And he hinted at that in his uh, press conference yesterday. He was asked about his prior relationship with Swarbrick. And basically said he kind of knew him and say hi to him at events because they were both in the same circles type of thing. But he didn't know him super well. But then he did throw in that it was good to see him when he came back, back being Notre Dame two weeks ago. So he was on campus at Notre Dame two weeks ago interviewing. So this had been in the works. Obviously, he's not going to talk about it when he's asked at uh, Super Bowl Media Day. Uh, he's going to say that he's all of his focus is on the bagels, which I'm sure it largely was. But this, is, this had been in the works for a while. Um, not really a surprise. And that, that's kind of the timeline of how, how it happened and what I know about that. Um, otherwise, yeah, his his background, he's kind of been all over the place. You touched on some of it. He's, he's from New Jersey. He's the only coach on the staff that's from the Northeast. And Notre Dame seems to be making a massive push in the Northeast right now, uh, particularly in Massachusetts. Uh, he's been all over the Northeast. He went to the same high school as Quentin Nelson and uh, Kevin Bowman, who is currently on the team at tight end. And so, yeah, he'll be the resident Northeast expert with all the the BC uh, Penn State ties and then also have experience, obviously, in the in the DMV as the defensive coordinator at UVA. So I like the hire. I know you all are going to go into it more, but um, I, I like I like it a lot, even though it's not when when Freeman was officially hired as the Notre Dame coach on December 3rd or whatever it was. I don't think anybody was kind of pounding the table like someone go get Al Golden. But upon further review, I like it. So. I'm cool with it. Uh, candidly, I almost don't recognize Golden. I know we talked about this, Woj. He looks like he's aged a little bit. Um, although, I guess, dealing with the handcuffs he had put on him down in Coral Gables with all that Nevin Shapiro stuff, would probably do that to anyone. I also, when I was kind of thinking about this, I thought he was a coach in Miami like 10 years ago, and I realized he was still there in 2015. Now, I guess 2015 is almost 10 years ago, which is a little bit jarring. Um, but anyways, back to the topic at hand. We know he's a really good recruiter. Ashton, you tweeted out that quote the other day about he doesn't stop recruiting until the Waffle House closes and (laughs) Waffle House never closes. So I think that's a a nice fit on this staff. And I I like that he's been in the NFL and and from all accounts played a pretty significant role in the success of the Bengals defense this postseason. And the bigger thing for me is I I like having at least one guy with a little bit of age on staff. Um, Somebody who's been a head coach before will be critical for Freeman to lean on. That was clearly missing during the Fiesta Bowl 
And I liked his quote in the presser about how you can't wait until halftime to make adjustments, but rather you have to do with every series. Uh, I think that that's going to be critical to have somebody with that sort of experience and, and that mindset on staff. We can't just have a bunch of 30 year olds. Um, but you know, I, I think the other piece of this for me is Doug Belk was a name that was rumored for a while. I think Tim Lukabu is a one that we heard more recently from Boston college and those guys are kind of rising a little bit in the coaching profession. And, and I'm just not really sure how long you can count on those sort of guys to stick around somewhere. I would think that Golden is at a point in his career where he's content being a coordinator at a place like Notre Dame for a while. But I do recognize he was a candidate for the UConn job earlier this winter, I guess. But I'd just like to have some continuity there for a while, and I think that's what Golden gives you on top of everything else. Yeah, it's hard to quantify like what is a while yeah. as an assistant coach in college football because it seems like three years is an eternity now with how things work, and especially someone who's been a head coach before. Um, I'm with you. He does look like he's aged a bit. Honestly, that one picture that keeps resurfacing where it's like a shot right of his face and he's got a hat the on. the glasses. He's unrecognizable to me. It's the yeah. glasses. It's the hat. Yeah. He's not wearing a tie. It's the tie that's really jarring. Yeah, the, the tie yeah. is jarring. I'll hold it not in a tie. Yeah, he does... I don't know. I feel like that's the ties kind of brought him some negative stigma, a, a negative reputation around the program just because it looks goofy. But yeah, now he doesn't wear a tie. Actually, now I don't even know if I like his look now. Let's, we're going to talk more about Al Golden's fashion sense. Uh, <laughs> you can never trust a guy who wears like a zip up, whether it's a quarter zip or a zip up fleece of any kind, one that zips it up all the way on his neck. I don't know, a little suspect to me. And that's what he wore at the press conference yesterday. He's so used to having a tie that he like feels like it's way too low if he has the quarter zip unzipped. Yeah. He needs something. <laughs> yeah, cannot have any breathing room. Uh, but all seriousness, I do like the hire for pretty much all the reasons you guys mentioned. It's good to have someone on the staff who's actually been a head coach. And I think more than anything, it's probably good to have someone on the staff who can tell Freeman no. He's earned enough credibility in the coaching profession to be able to do that and when you're working with a bunch of coaches who are younger and who have never really been in the, in Freeman's position, I think it's going to be, it's going to be beneficial, especially on Saturdays where if Freeman um, is in a position where he makes a call that golden might not agree with because of a situation that golden has been in prior and he can say, Hey, don't do that because of like X, Y, and Z that's good to have on the staff it might fill some blind spots, but one quote in particular that got a lot of attention yesterday, Freeman was asked by Pete Sampson of The Athletic about the scheme and basically whose scheme is it going to be, um, how much oversight is Freeman going to have being the defensive coordinator last year, and the fact that for the players on this Notre Dame team, a lot of them who've been around for a few years, this is their third defensive coordinator in three years. So, Ashton, from your perspective, how do you think this is going to work with Golden his installation of a new scheme while also working with Freeman to sort of keep some continuity. How do you think that's all going to play out? Sure. So I think this is the kind of quote that summed it up. I think from Freeman, the best uh, yesterday was he basically said he wanted someone who wasn't going to come in and drop his playbook on the desk and basically say, this is what we're doing because to Freeman's point, these guys have had three defensive coordinators in the last three years. They had Lee, they had Freeman, and now they have Golden. And Freeman kind of reworked some of the stuff that Lee did. He said yesterday that he tried to keep some of the terminology the same, but basically he was like, you can't just keep switching all of the terminology. You can't just come in every year and switch all of it. That's not fair to the players. So he, and he also said, he, he basically was like, I wanted someone who was going to come in and be okay with 
fitting into the system as opposed to overtaking the system. And what he means by that is not that he's going to be a warlord and tell Golden everything that he has to do, which I think was another quote that um, kind of blew up on Twitter when Freeman said, no, I want to be very clear. This is Al Golden's defense. And everyone was like, but didn't you just say it's your defense? I think what Freeman was trying to say is Golden has so many different experiences. He can come in, examine the foundation that Freeman already has. And that was started by Lee um, after 2016. And he can, he can alter things on a micro level. And I'm not saying that in the sense of like, he, he's only allowed to make tiny little changes and he's not allowed to give any, um, any, he's not allowed to make an impact on a bigger level, but I think it's more just Al Golden learning the team's terminology is a lot easier than 55 guys or whatever, learning Al Golden's defense and learning a new defense for the third time in, in three years. So I think if that, that's kind of, I think where Freeman's coming at it from and Golden knows enough where he's able to not come in and just be like, I've done it like this. So I'm going to do it like this. He's been, he's been in so many different systems that he can kind of pull little things from other places and say, this would be better here as opposed to overturning the entire thing. I was kind of redundant, but I hope that got the point across. <laughs> no, I get that. And I think part of it was Freeman sort of like retroactively going back to his comments after the Fiesta Bowl, where he, he did make it seem like whoever was going to be coming in on the staff was going to be running Notre Dame's defense. And I think he walked that back a little bit. And to be honest, like at the time, I didn't know how appealing the Notre Dame defensive coordinator position was just given the circumstances, because if Freeman was really going to be like, Hey, uh, you don't have any say in the staff, which golden didn't really, that, that part is still true. Yeah. You're going to be working very unusual. Yeah. You're going to be working under a defensive minded head coach. That's so very true. And you have to learn and adapt to all this new ter- terminology as opposed to running entirely how you want. You know, coaches are typically control freaks, so it's interesting to see how Golden handles this all. He clearly has a lot of respect for Freeman. Luke, how long or how big of a leash do you think Notre Dame fans are going to give Golden, um, especially considering who they start with against Ohio State in a potential Heisman candidate in C.J. Stroud? Uh, I was going to say the first 75-yard touchdown in Marvin Harrison Jr. So. <laughs> That's how quickly we're going to be calling for Golden? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I That actually does remind me, and this is going slightly off topic, but f- somebody asked Freeman yesterday about how surprised he was when Mike Elston left, and he said he was surprised. What, what did you make of that quote? Because I think for some of the things we heard, it sounded more mutual than that. Um, so I don't know. What did you make of that? I was a little surprised by it too. Like though I was surprised by the way, by the fact that he said that, because I think what you're kind of hinting at is the dominant narrative was after the second half defensive collapse and the Fiesta Bowl. Um, Elston's chances of becoming the DC were kind of all but wiped away. So there was the thought of, Oh, he's, he was looked over for the or passed over for the DC position. It makes sense that he's leaving. And also obviously this is his alma mater. So that, that I think in and of itself is a reason to go if you want to go back to your alma mater um i mean i think it was more surprising maybe to freeman and well i guess not i don't know i hadn't really thought about what i thought exactly about that until now so i'm word vomiting so tyler you can go i would say when when we all heard the news that elson was leaving everyone was kind of taken aback like what the hell because he just went on this he just gave this speech on signing day about how he wants to raise his family here and all this stuff. And I'm not like a lot. He got a lot of criticism for that. And I'm not going to do that. I think any coach who goes back to his alma mater, especially if it's like a place like Michigan, um, 
you know, as much as I hate to say it, like I can understand why he'd want to do that. And, and he'd clearly reached his ceiling within the Notre Dame football program. Like nobody after that Fiesta Bowl was like, you know who we should hire as DC? Mike Elson. Now, whether that's <laughs> fair or not, we as a fan base, and it seems like the coaching staff as well, we're all in collective agreement, didn't qualify to be the DC. So he leaves. That's fine. But to what Luke was saying, we have heard some rumblings that it was basically like a mutual breakup where like a couple breaks up and both sides are like, eh, I'm kind of done with it too, which is weird considering how much, how well respected um, Elson was by the players and other coaches. That was a little weird. Um, and I think the dialogue around Elson in the aftermath of this all has been a little bit interesting. And, and that goes back to Luke's point. I was more surprised that Freeman conceded surprise or said that he was surprised just given uh, his boss's normal response to these things, like Swarbrick, when people asked him about Kelly, he was like, I saw the writing on the wall a little bit. I'm just a little bit surprised that he put out, you know, whether or not it's facade or it's authentic, just coaches don't normally say they're surprised by things, is my is my thought That's process. fair, but that, that brings us to Al Washington. Um, and I think Al Washington is a prime example of just how volatile your stock can be as an assistant coach in college football. Um, not even a full year ago, in March of 2021, Football Scoop reported that Tennessee was targeting Washington to be their defensive coordinator. I know Tennessee hasn't been great in recent years, but being an SEC defensive coordinator at 35 is impressive no matter what school it is in the SEC, except for maybe Vandy. Sorry, Clark Lee. Uh, Washington ultimately decided to pass up on that opportunity to stay at Ohio State as the linebackers coach at the time, though, so that's a little bit different. And then eight months later, he's let go as part of a defensive staff overhaul at Ohio State, and you know now he's the defensive line coach at Notre Dame. He's still highly regarded in the industry. That's been that's evident by the fact that Georgia was going after him hard as well. Uh, but it's been an interesting year and a half for Washington. So, Ashton, how did we get here? Yeah, so this one I was actually talking to um, someone like right before this podcast about Washington just being like, did I miss anything when he was hired? Because A, I was on vacation, but B, it just seemed so drama free like and maybe that's just kind of some of the drama that surrounded some of these other guys that we'll get to in a minute but just seemed like it was like all right we're gonna take Washington and then it was like okay he's here sounds good like I I don't it it just seemed very non-event uneventful I guess um I like the hire I think that yeah like he was let go from Ohio State but at the same time um there's like five or six Ohio State linebackers that he has coached that are currently on active rosters in the NFL and like we tout, we tout Elston's um, defensive line that, that like Hayes, um, Kareem, all those guys are currently on active rushes in the NFL. Like it's kind of the same thing here with Washington. Um, I also like his recruiting prowess is very well known. I like the young, it keeps with the young vibe again. And I, I don't disagree with the idea that you need somebody who's older. That's why I like the golden hire, but um, I, I like, I like that you have this young guy who has been at multiple big schools in the big 10 knows the area very well. He's from Columbus originally. Like he's kind of uh, not that that doesn't mean he can't recruit outside of that Midwest footprint, but he's very well known there. I also think that a lot of um, recruit interviews that we've done that I've been combing through there are, I swear all of them that are defensive prospects are like, yeah, I was really good. I was really um, close with Washington at Ohio state. Now that he's with Freeman, like, Oh my God, it's going to be insane what they can do. So I think that, 
while yeah he was let go uh he's very highly respected and a lot of the recruits are now looking at this duo of washington and freeman no disrespect to al golden also this was pre-al golden when i read all of this too so whatever but um i, I like i like the hire yeah, I mean, as Ashton just mentioned there, he's an acclaimed recruiter. I, I think that's obviously a, a massive plus. Hopefully should help Notre Dame try to try to keep Keon Keeley pledged. We'll see how that goes. I know he was let go at Ohio State, but as you mentioned, Woj, there was an overhaul. And, and, and to me, it kind of seemed like more of a situation where there just wasn't a spot for him. Um, anybody you can take from an operation like Ohio State seems like a value add. We'll see how he is development-wise, but I think this should be a massive plus from a recruiting standpoint. And additionally, he mentioned yesterday in the presser that his great uncle, Dick Arrington, was the first African-American football, All-American in Notre Dame, uh, consensus All-American at guard for the Irish in 1965, and was also an All-American wrestler back when Notre Dame still had wrestling. So one of four Notre Dame athletes, along with Bob Golick, the Rocket, and Moose Krause to be an All-American in two sports. Like, that must not count cross-country and track because it's the same shit, but that, that's a pretty cool connection. <laughs> I did not know that. That's pretty cool. I didn't to either. I should probably have known that. <laughs> I know. I was when Washington was hired. I was thinking like, there's clearly a connection uh, with Freeman and Washington from their time at Ohio State, and, and Cincinnati. obviously when, yeah, and Cincinnati. You're right. Good point. When Freeman was hired, we all know that like a big part of it was the continuity of the coaching staff. Like, going to have a lot of the same guys in place, and I wonder like from. Freeman's perspective, like that's great to have familiar faces around you that who've been with the program a little bit. But then again, like it's also probably nice too to be working with guys that you're comfortable with, the guys that you've worked with a little bit more extensively in the past. Like we don't know much about Freeman's relationship with Elston, but we do know that him and Washington are really close. And they're honestly very similar. Two young guys, both of which look like they could still play. Uh, Washington looks like he could suit up tomorrow. And those two working in tandem feels like it could work out better uh, than maybe with Freeman and Elston again. Like, I don't want to say, like, oh, well, Elston's gone. He wasn't a good coach. He was a great coach in Notre Dame. He did a lot of great things. But I do think a little bit of change is sort of welcoming for the Notre Dame team and the Notre Dame coaching staff at this point. But some change that we didn't expect, or I guess maybe not as much, was on the offensive side of the ball. Um, We have Tommy Reese staying, though. And I think we should talk about Tommy Reese because there was a moment, there was a Saturday uh, where I was enjoying a beach day. Actually, no, it was a Friday. And we get Friday. It was a Friday. I'm having like a off early. It's in a great mood. And then all of a sudden, there's rumors that Tommy Reese might go to Miami. At first, it's like, there's no way. He already turned down LSU, which is actually like, despite how they fared in recent years, like him going to LSU would have made. A hell of a lot more sense than him going to Miami, unless Miami just offered the Brinks truck, which apparently they did. And that's why Josh Gaddis, the offensive coordinator at Michigan, is now there. Tommy elected to stay. There's also some speculation about the Rams. It looks like that's sort of behind us, knock on wood. Ashton, how close is Tommy Reese to leaving, from what you understand? I... I don't really think he was that close to leaving. I know that Miami really, really, really wanted him. As you said, I don't think, again, I don't think, do not hold me to this because I do not know exactly how this went down. I don't think he was really ever that close to leaving. I've heard that the Rams interest was at, he was actually considering that if that came to fruition, there were a number of NFL teams. I heard that wanted him as a quarterback's coach. He said, I won't go unless an offensive coordinator he was not 
ultimately offer that. I don't know if the, I, I don't, the Rams situation is, I, I think it's, I guess it's Liam Cohen now who used to be with the Rams. Um, so I don't. He's the offensive coordinator at Kentucky now. Right. Yeah, exactly. But I, I don't think he was actually ever going to leave. I think that Miami really wanted him. That was leaked out that Miami really he did wanted interview. Him. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but I mean, like, if you th- like, I know you inter- like I've I've interviewed places that like I don't really intend to do it. Like, you just go, sure. you go hear them out. Oh like, yeah, all the time. You know, Definitely, you go hear them out. Like, I don't know, I, I don't, I don't really think it was ever going to actually happen. I also just, I think that Miami's kind of in a weird place where it's going to be really, really difficult to turn that ship around now that Alabama runs South Florida. Um, it's just. And I guess that kind of applies to Brian. It kind of applies to Brian Kelly. Like, oh, you're in a good spot. Like, why would you go to this program that's struggling? And it's like, well, the money. And I guess Tommy just doesn't really care about the money as much as Brian Kelly, which is a nice, which is nice. But yeah, that's my thought. Luke, how'd you feel about it? When all that broke, I was out somewhere and I was wearing a, like a Freeman Reese 22 shirt. So I would have felt like a real (laughs) jackass if that had broken right then. But um, yeah, I think I had a couple moments of panic, maybe about 20 or 30. And then I kind of just tried to forget about it and didn't look at my phone. And by the time I looked at my phone, it kind of had blown over. So just tried not to think or read too much. Yeah. I think I was having a drink on a rooftop and I was just thinking like, all right, you know what? I'm mentally accepting that he's gone. So I can try to enjoy the rest of the day. Like just let it sink in. He's gone. So when the news comes out, like my mood is unfazed and you know, that's just kind of what happens in Notre Dame off seasons where you're like, all right, we're just going to think and accept the worst case scenario. Uh, But it ends up not happening. Reese elects to stay. But on that same day, uh, Dellen McCullough, the now running backs coach at Notre Dame, he, at at that point in time, we had heard that he was likely going to be the running backs coach coming over uh, from IU. And he wasn't even officially announced yet. And now all of a sudden, it seems like the New York Giants are about to poach him. Notre Dame has to fight for a guy who's technically not even on the staff officially with the New York Giants. Same day, crazy day. Ashton, what can you tell us about what went down? Yeah, so it kind of started as like a joke, I guess, when it was like, haha, the Giants are trying to take McCullough. And it was like, wait a minute, the Giants are trying to take McCullough. And I had this brief, it was, it was kind of weird for me because I'm a Giants fan. So I was like, from a, from a Notre Dame perspective, I was amped about him coming to Notre Dame because I care more about college football than I do about the NFL. No offense to the Giants, although they are awful, so I should care more about Notre Dame <laughs> than the Giants. Um, but it was like this brief moment of, oh, my God, we're going to have to go through this thing all over again. And then I was like, well, at least it's the Giants. And I was like, no, oh, my God, we're going to have to go through this all over again. So, yeah, it was yeah, it was like Friday at like 6 p.m. I was getting ready to go out to dinner, and I was like, seriously, are we actually going to do the release and McCullough thing at the same time? Thankfully, those rumors were put to rest relatively quickly. His wife at one point tweeted the um, like the marker that you find on Google Maps, the little like red pin thing, and with like the shamrock, and everyone was like, "What is what does this mean?" Like, I think this means that he's staying, but also it's just his wife like flying off a tweet. So nobody really actually knew. Came out later that he did entertain it. They were going to make him one of the highest paid running backs in the NFL. He turned it down is obviously now at Notre Dame. It was officially announced on Friday, I believe, uh, last Friday. So now a week ago. Um, yeah, I really like this hire. Can I tell his adoption story really quickly, even though I've tweeted it like several Go times? Go for it. Yes. Okay. This is my favorite thing ever. So basically, 
And Sarah Spain wrote a piece on this on ESPN.com. And I will not do the story justice. You should go read it. But he was born in Pittsburgh, but then he was adopted at six weeks old and was raised in Youngstown, Ohio. And so he, throughout high school, was like a pretty good football player, ended up getting a scholarship offer from Miami of Ohio. And he's being recruited by this guy named Sherman Smith, who's like a Miami legend. And goes, loves Smith, loves the campus, commits. Before he gets there, Smith goes to Illinois to be, I believe it was running backs coach at Illinois. Um, They stay in touch. McCullough gets into coaching. They still stay in touch. Sherman has like a long history. He most recently was with the Seahawks. Um, They're like, they're essentially, they have a father-son dynamic. Well, in 2017, McCullough goes and basically tries to figure out who his biological parents are locates his biological mom and asks for his biological dad's name. And his mom literally says to him, your father's name is Sherman Smith, which like when you read this story, I, I kind of knew that was where it was going. Cause I had heard rumors about it, but like I tweeted it and I got like six responses of like pictures of people fainting. And it was like me when <laughs> Sarah Spain wrote Sherman Smith, it's like the craziest story of all time. Um, but yeah, his, his mentor the entire time was a biological dad, which you can't make that up. So if you haven't read that, Go do it. And I'm a fan of McCullough, regardless of what he does for that story. So also he's supposed to be very good at his job, which I'm sure y'all go into, but. <laughs> you didn't even mention the more cryptic tweet from the wife. It wasn't, one? it wasn't cryptic. It was incoherent. <laughs> okay. Hold on. I got to pull Which one? So while, did I forget it? No. Well, Maybe while the speculation was going around that McCullough was not going to go to Notre Dame, that he was in fact going to take the giants job and, no one was no one truly understood like what was going on and why it was going on but like i'm going to pull it up right now so she's quote tweeting uh the original tweet from John Bryce who works for Irish Sports Daily basically reporting that uh the giants are making a run at coach McCullough. so she quotes it saying quote according to some source after going to the super bowl two times he was about to be dot 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 let me not start before I hurt some feelings. Go be great. <laughs> and, I and do. I forgot. <laughs> so everyone was like, okay, somehow said, this confusing situation made less sense. I, I, I think Luke, you were the one who sent it to me. Yeah, it just, it was incoherent. It wasn't even cryptic. <laughs> so, so yeah, after seeing that, uh, I was just even more confused, but we could talk about him as an actual coach now. I guess, you know, it's a pretty good thing if the New York Giants are prepared to make him the, one of the highest paid running backs coach in the NFL. Like even if you're a position coach, that's we're talking a lot of money here as an assistant coach. I was surprised that he would go back to the NFL because my understanding of the situation was that the whole reason he left the chiefs after they won the super bowl was so that he could eventually become a college head coach. He didn't think there was a path there in the NFL. So he goes back to IU where he had a, had a previous stint was very successful. I think all five of his featured rushers <clears throat> have gone on to the NFL. Um, I think Tom Loy from 24-7 pointed that out. And during his first run in Bloomington, the Hoosiers set 19 program rushing records. You know, there's evidence of him being a great coach at the college level, the NFL level, and now at the Notre Dame, filling in or replacing Lance Taylor, who we haven't even mentioned yet, who did an incredible job in his three years at Notre Dame. Uh, He left the running back room in a much better place than when he found it. And that's without Kyron Williams, who Taylor helped develop into the best running back at Notre Dame, at least in our lifetime. So I'm pretty excited about it. Luke, how do you feel about the whole thing? It seems like a home run hire. I mean, obviously had tremendous success with the Chiefs and really good run at IU prior to that. I, I actually remember his name being rumored a little bit 
when Notre Dame was <clears throat> looking to replace Autry Denson. And I remember at the time, it seemed like a bit of a long shot or something he wouldn't entertain, which is kind of weird to say because it's Indiana, although he did take the Chiefs job. And then maybe a sign that the program is in a much better place, at least at the running back position, than it was after that 2018 season. Um, pretty significant to keep him, too, when the Giants came lurking. So we also know that he coached uh, rapper Plies in college before he dropped out and became a rapper. So if we get Plies to a game in South Bend this year. That'd be yeah, a plus. I did not expect to see a tweet from Plies promoting the new Notre Dame running backs. I had to read but, it like uh, four times, and I was like, wait, is this Plies like Plies? Like what? Yeah, like the like, rapper Plies. Yeah. 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 So Notre Dame just became cooler with that hire as well. Um, moving on to Jared Parker. Unlike Lance Taylor, whose name had come up, a decent amount in just offensive coordinator openings. John McNulty's departure is one that caught me off guard. Not that I think he should have stayed because the opportunity to be an offensive coordinator for a power five school is better than that of being a tight ends coach literally anywhere else at the college level. But I, I just thought he was pretty complacent where he was at Notre Dame. I mean, the situation at Notre Dame being a tight ends coach is pretty damn good right now, especially when you have Michael Mayer, who's the best tight end in the country. And then just every year, just bringing in more five stars or high four stars. But the timeline of this was really interesting to me because Pete Thamel of ESPN tweets out that Boston College was targeting McNulty on January 30th. The move became official the next day on the 31st, and then on February 1st, Parker interviewed for the Notre Dame job, and then on February 2nd, Pete Thamel tweeted that Notre Dame was targeting Parker for the job. So at that point, Notre Dame had found their guy. It's a really quick turnaround. And Ashton, as you mentioned before, Notre Dame does not move quickly on these things. So how... Did that happen in such a short amount of time? Yeah, so I think this move actually wasn't finalized until Monday. So I think that there was a bit that went on behind the scenes. You didn't hear an actual word from Notre Dame until three days ago. Um, I, I guess whoever told Thamel that uh, had, was was very, very confident that the vetting process would be fine. But I think it certainly went on for a little bit longer behind the scenes. Um, I also, I, maybe it helps. I don't know exactly how this vetting process works. I'll be honest, but maybe it helps that Freeman knows him so well that that, that helps push him through quicker. I don't know exactly. Um, but yeah, it, in terms of like their previous relationship, Patrick Engel wrote a really good article about this. Cause I think that Parker's kind of the, not to be like, uh, no disrespect to Parker, but kind of like the least known entity. Like I think, Luke, to your point, like McCullough's name had come up, like he'd been in the NFL. Um, obviously, we knew who Al Washington was. Like Parker was a little bit of an unknown entity, um, especially being it at West Virginia, which is hasn't they haven't been great in recent years. And so he was the co-offensive coordinator there. And I think that when you first look at this, because it's like, why would you go from being a Power Five OC to a tight ends coach? Tyler, you just said it. It's better to be a Power Five OC than it is to be a tight ends coach anywhere in the country. But when you look at who West Virginia brought in, which is Graham Harrell, who we all know as being the former USC offensive coordinator, he was going to be co-offensive coordinator with Parker. He was going to take over the play calling. So I think it makes a little bit more sense because I think Parker got boxed out a little bit by Harrell and Harrell was going to run the show. So while on paper he was still the offensive coordinator, I think that this is kind of less of a less of a step down than maybe it, it looks at, lo- looks like at first glance. Um, as far as what he's done, I know we kind of talked about it when we were chatting offline, um, like what, what people think of him exactly. 
I texted one of my friends who's a diehard West Virginia fan and he raved about him, said that they brought a couple of receivers in that were kind of kind of nothing and, and Parker really developed them well. And I know that the knock on Alexander was more a recruiting knock, not a not a development knock. But um so he developed them really well, said that West Virginia uh, did a lot of did a lot of weird things with their tight ends that they would work their receivers and tight ends into like new these new weird schemes that even my friend was like they're they're very um, like maybe state of the art I don't know if that's really the right word but I don't know he raved about him said he's awesome and I think Tommy mentioned this too in his press conference yesterday that having somebody that's had that holistic look at the offense because Tommy is young and while he is very up and coming and he's very highly coveted and he'll probably end up somewhere at a very high level one day. Uh, Parker does have that holistic view for being an OC and he's also been a position coach for receivers, tight ends and running backs. So not only has he done the overview, he's done it at the more micro level. So it just seems like he has a lot of knowledge, kind of similar to like the golden hire where it's just like, we're going to bring somebody in who's seen it all. And we're going to have him help the younger guys. And he also is a little bit younger, but he, he has an extensive list of places that he's been. And like I said, a number of different capacities. So we'll see what happens. Luke, how do you feel? You know, I, I like having somebody else on the offensive staff who has some experience calling plays. As we know, uh, Tommy Reese leaned on John McNulty a lot in the booth for various game situations, and I think Parker should help fill that role. He's also, <clears throat> by all accounts, a really good recruiter, so that works. And listen, I'm, I'm cool with Freeman knowing that he works well with a guy and then bringing him on. So other than that, I mean, he's probably the least I know about of any of these guys, but I'm not going to complain about it either. Yeah, I'm with you. I think the most interesting aspect to this is the game day operation in it all because it's one of those things where, like, it's just sort of lost upon fans, and, and we don't realize how much work truly goes into just the game management and something just like getting the play call in from Tommy Reese down to the field and then to the quarterback and then to the rest of the team. Like, it happens so quick. There's people helping him. Like, McNulty sat – um, right next to Reese in the booth. And you saw that whenever they'd go to him on the camera. I think there's like that great clip on Kyron's touchdown run against North Carolina where like McNulty like jumps out of his chair and Reese like doesn't even budge. So how that all works is going to be interesting, especially because like you said, Luke, McNulty was Reese's guy. Like Reese just gets along well with the old veteran savvy coaches like he stand as well. Um, and now he's gone. He's taking the BC job and, He's going to be the offensive coordinator against Notre Dame on senior day with uh, Phil Dracovic. That's going to be something. Um, I'm actually just mostly bummed that we lose McDulty because he's hilarious uh, on Twitter. And I thought we'd get a little bit more on his press conferences. Like he openly talks shit to the Mackey award. You don't really see that. I forgot that about that. Yeah. Cause when they, when they so didn't um, include mayor as a, a finalist, like he went straight to Twitter and just fired some tweets off. So we'll miss out on that. Um, we'll see what happens in the future. I think the one thing that was kind of interesting about the vetting process, like the one that this was going to be such a lock, is that Parker got a DUI in Indiana in like 2017. Now, that's <laughs> a lot of time has passed since then. But, you know, you think that of all the coaching hires that would probably do vetting process would pre- probably take a little bit longer. You'd think that'd be the one. I didn't know they gave, I didn't know they gave speeding tickets in Indiana, let alone DUIs. Certainly <laughs> if he was in South Bend, he would have been fine. I'm pretty sure there is yeah. no, there's no such yeah. thing as a police force there. Um, yeah. last one on the offense, Chancey Stuckey. We don't really have to go into how he was hired. Chancey Stuckey was hired a while ago, but now he's been a part of the Notre Dame coaching staff for a little bit. He's been on the road recruiting. He's obviously been with the players as well a little bit. So Ashton, what are the early reports on uh, coach suck as he's now referred to? Uh, by all accounts, they are very, very good. 
I know that when he came in, there was kind of the initial Notre Dame thought they were getting Jamarcus Shepard on Purdue. He ended up at Washington. It was the initial sentiment was, oh, did we settle for Stucky? And it turns out that no, Notre Dame wanted Stucky. That's who Freeman and Reese wanted. Um, everybody raves about him. And I know that he, he, his knock on him is his lack of experience. He didn't start coaching until 2019. He spent two years at Clemson and then was at Baylor last year. That's, that's kind of the knock, but when you're getting, um, nothing but a plus reviews from Dabo Sweeney and Tony Elliott, who's now the head coach at, uh, UVA, formerly the Clemson OC, um, I, I, it's hard, it's hard to complain. I guess it's, it's, I know. I know we kind of make fun of Dell Alexander too much, but it seems like he's bringing the energy that Dell he's bringing the energy and the incitement that Dell never brought. And um, I'm going to plug, I'm going to plug our site's coverage of him because I know that yes. we've, we've done Feel a fair free. amount. And then Tyler Horka, if you're a Notre Dame fan, Tyler's about to drop an awesome story on him in the coming days. So um, you should, you should definitely check that out. But I think if, if you're skeptical of Stucky, you'll read Tyler's story and, and you'll be thrilled that he joined the staff. That's great. And it's not too surprising. It seems like everyone, uh, on the Notre Dame coaching staff was super impressed by him and his interview. It was a pretty classic case of just how fans treat assistant coaching hires because Shepard being the first name out, he's got a little bit more experience. He coached a guy like David Bell fans, immediately become obsessed with him for really no other reason than they're just looking at his resume. And then when Notre Dame opts to go in a different direction, it's like, well, terrible move. I mean, sure, I didn't know Stucky's name until two days ago, but I know for a fact that was the wrong hire. But, um, yeah, I'm excited. about. I think as a receivers coach, like, look, go out there, recruit the best receivers, and, like, you're going to be fine. Um, There's definitely technique. There's definitely ways to develop receivers. I'm not saying that. But if you have – you know, a Justin Ross type athlete at receiver, you're probably going to be all right. Luke, how do you feel about it? So obviously not a ton of miles on his legs right now, but but that excites me. Um, You know, you got an eager, young, impressionable guy with some NFL experience, very successful playing and and coaching at Clemson. Dabo Sweeney and and Dave Aranda both gave glowing reviews on him. Seems like a willing and able recruiter. I I know the other day we saw Braylon James, a big four-star recruit, tweet at him the other day. I don't know why I'm getting excited about a high schooler tweeting at a coach, but that, that seemed notable. <laughs> That's where we are um, with the Notre Dame receiving room. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, I'm just I'm, I'm eager to see how this goes. Uh, I also like that Jared Parker has experienced coaching wideouts, and Stucky should be able to lean on him a little bit. With this often as Notre Dame splits out their tight ends, there's going to be some overlap there. And the big thing for me is Dell Alexander, as we mentioned, caught a lot of flack. Some of it was very well warranted. Um, I think he did a, a fine job development-wise, but – Recruiting was just pretty inexcusable, and, and from what we've heard, he kind of just wasn't cut out for recruiting, maybe a little bit of an awkward guy, and it's just refreshing to get some young blood in there who's willing to, to fight on the road and learn on the job. I have one more thing on him um, that I forgot to say that I, I had written down. So I was going through and just making sure that this was true. He is the only coach on staff that's kind of from that southeastern area that Notre Dame's making a huge push toward. His staff is very, very Midwest-centric, which is not surprising given it's Notre Dame. But in Parker's originally from Kentucky, which I don't really throw. I don't really lump in with like the Georgias and the Carolinas and Alabama and whatever. But Stucky's from Georgia. He's from like two hours south of Atlanta. And while I understand that kind of where you ended up playing and where you, um, which he went to Clemson, so that works. But where, where you've coached factors in more than where you were raised. But I do think it's really, really good to have somebody from Georgia on that staff, given what Notre Dame's been 
trying to do in the state of Georgia. And it's, it's kind of becoming um, like right, right up there with you. You always hear Florida, Texas, California. Those are the big three. I think Georgia is like firmly in fourth um, now. So I think it's good that there's some Southeastern representation on that staff and stuff. You brings that. For the record, Parker's from Kentucky. He's from the South. Like he's <laughs> South of the Mason Dixon line. Like people That's in Wait, the are South, you from Kentucky? Yeah, That's I'm, I'm from Kentucky, so it's actually yeah, but it's not funny, the so. same as like the Carolinas. No, it's Georgia. it's not because Kentucky never seceded from the Union. Oh my god! So <laughs> like in the Civil War days, so like if you ask people from like Mississippi or Alabama, they do not include Kentucky in the South. Yeah, and like I moved there from Cleveland, and my parents told me we were moving to Kentucky. My first question was, "Are we going to move on a farm?" Like I thought it was just the sticks. <laughs> and then I get to this to Kentucky, then meet some other people from around there. Like, well, Kentucky's not really the South. Why? Because they didn't secede. That's a real <laughs> was a real take. But yeah, that's fair. It, that's it fair. is south of the Mason Dixon line. So I don't know <laughs> yeah, what but, you constitute as a South. Yeah, I don't know. I'm from Virginia though, and like I guess it's kind of the South, but it's not the South South, in my humble opinion. But I don't know. I guess you could argue with that. Mid-Atlantic. Did Virginia fight for the Confederacy? V- Richmond, where I'm from, was the capital of the Confederacy. <laughs> then they are the South. That's all it takes. <laughs> Which uh, I'd like to I'd like to leave this topic now on that on that note. <laughs> <laughs> on the capital. I didn't really expect us to get into like which states fought for the Union of the Confederacy. In the you Civil know what my point was. I know. Having I'm somebody good. from the Southeast is good. No, it is good. It is definitely good. Um all right, that's honestly all I got in the new coaching staff hires. Either of you got anything else on them? Nothing for no, me. I got nothing. The, the vibes are impeccable. Let's just the, yeah. a shout out to the vibes on this We went team. We went to every single hire, and we're like, knocked out of the park. A-plus Notre Dame. Great job. Here we are on February 17th, undefeated in press conferences in the offseason. Uh, we'll, we'll see how we feel about this whole coaching staff after week one in Columbus. But – that about wraps things up. Uh, Ashen, thank you so much again for coming on. You, you can check out her me. work on blueandgold.com and follow you on Twitter and follow her on Twitter at Ashton Pollard7. Anything upcoming that you want to plug? Any articles or anything? Um, I don't, nothing in particular. Like I said, Tyler's going to release something really cool. We're, we're rolling out, um, obviously, as I think you said at the top of the show, the way that it was structured yesterday was it was. Freeman, Golden, Reese, and Mason were on Zoom, and then the rest of the assistants were kind of out in like little media scrums. So Tyler and Patrick, uh, Tyler Horker and Patrick Engel were on the ground in South Bend. They have some more stuff coming on that. Um, and then Mike Singer and I are diving into recruiting. I think the 2023 recruiting is obviously heating up, but the 2024s are starting to get offers too. And there's some there's some cool legacy kids and some really high level guys. So all around, I think there there's it's the off season but there really is not an off season so while you may not really care about reading about Notre Dame football stuff right now because you don't think anything's happening there is a lot happening and you should buy a one-year subscription to blue and gold for just one dollar uh Mike Singer will be happy that I plugged that on this podcast <laughs> Mike Singer's got to be happy that every blue and gold I think every single staffer has been on the show at least once um so oh, glad yeah. to have you on uh, thank you all for listening. Please subscribe and give us a follow on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Sunset Irish. And we'll talk to you again soon.